We're going to study most, most all the aspects of fasting, but even more than that, exactly what it does. A lot of people have been coming to me lately asking about strenuous jobs and easy jobs and, and the, their work habits and, and the long fast. How do you fast a long fast with any kind of job that was strenuous? I remember a, a man in the mill where I worked. I, I knew him very well. He loaded boxcars. He was a pastor. He got so excited about the miracles and about the testimonies of men who fasted that he went on a fast, and that man loaded the boxcars while he fasted 30 days. He was skinny when he started. He looked like a skeleton with skin stretched over it. And God visited him. And the first thing he did was visited him with with what was stopping him overall. And that's faithfulness with God. It happened to do with the church he belonged to and several other things. But I mean, nobody short of God could have convinced him. Nobody. I couldn't. I was independent holiness. He believed he was the church. He believed they were the bride. And we talked many hours, but... When he fasted that fast, then God came and was able to put something to death, and he accepted it. But the different facets of fasting to understand. Well, Brother Roberson, can I do a 40-day on the job I'm on? Well, some of your jobs you couldn't do a 40-day unless it became supernatural. So there's all different facets of fasting but the main thing with fasting is this. Whether it's series fasting, and then series kind of fasting is fast two or three days on, and two or three days off, and two or three days on. And, and you can maintain your strength with the good news, which is what we're going to get into this morning. The absolute good news is that both of them both of them, whether they be a 40-day or the series of three on and three off, both of them will end up in the same place. And one of the reasons that fasting is discouraged by many of your prominent teachers <laughs> is because <laughs> they don't like it. <laughs> one of the reasons that they discourage it because some of them had an experience themselves and still more than that saw somebody else have an experience. So they got all the justification that they needed to go ahead and pull it back. And, uh, and some of them, you know, they, they've discovered and they're teaching the truth. They said, I've never had to fast over three days in my life. Well, that... Thank God for their operation. Thank God that that was enough for them. And whether or not they received all that God had for them, they were satisfied evidently with what they had. So thank God if he was able to minister to them to that degree. Thank God. But then many of them went ahead and made it a doctrine for you and I also. 
And I, I'll tell you what. I just see too much lacking to stop there in most of those men's places. I just see too much lacking. I can't. I can't stop there. You know, I, get, I have millions of years to face. And my desire, my desire is to fulfill what he's called me to do. And I, I want a testimony like Paul, and you should too. I've finished my course. I've fought a good fight. I've ran a good race. And he's already told me my crown is laid up. He's already, and I'm ready to be offered. He's Paul the aged, he called himself. And he wanted his coat. He wanted his coat and some parchments. He's imprisoned again. He called himself Paul the aged. And he said, I'm ready to be offered. Which simply means that he only had one offering left. It was a body that showed the marks of Jesus in it, countless imprisonments and chains. And he said, to tell you the truth, I don't have anything else to give. This is my last offering. And they took him out and beheaded him. But I tell you, the demise of Paul, the, the humili humiliation you may think, for dying like that. Well, however he left this earth, I can tell you this much, is not the way that he entered heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's all I want. Well, I'm hungry. I'm more hungry to know him than I am for food. Somebody says, when will you fast? I'll tell you when. I fast when he'll lead me into it. But there's those times also I'll fast when my hunger inside outweighs my hunger on the outside. And I just can't pick the spoon up anymore. Let's see, these series fasting can be just as effective as a long fast. When a man does a 40-day called a prophet's fast. But one of the reasons these men discourage it because they've seen too many people get into those longer ones and uh, really get messed up. Some of them have even lost their health because they didn't follow certain guidelines. So a lot of them says, well, you know, God's not called you to fast over three days or so. One of the reasons people will teach against it because when you don't understand that you've been set free by grace, you couldn't be any freer than what he's deposited in you by the grace of God in that new nature. You couldn't be any freer. So the fasting is not moving God. It is not moving God. He's not the one stuck. He never has been. He never will be. How shall he who spared not his own son, not freely with him, give you all things? So fasting is the enforcement of a position that he's already given to you. 
And sometimes he'll call you on a fast, all right, especially if you're an intercessor and he lays some troubled area on you and you're giving everything you can to him to change that. You're, you're falling in and you're, you're praying and groaning and God needs just a little more from you. So he'll kick you into a fast. And whatever is between you and that standing he gave you to, to call revival down or that lost person or that horrible situation that needs to be turned. And through the last part, the fasting, he can move it out of your way. He can move it out of your life. And then God comes. Well, we made the mistake thinking it's our fasting that moved God. It did not move him. It just lined you up into a position to receive what he's already done. Now, when a guy jumps in, and I know I've done it, I was so disappointed after my first or second longer fast because all God did was pick on me. <laughs> Showed me all my faults and everything. He glorified them, magnified them so big that even I couldn't miss them. I was so disappointed after my first longer fast. I was just so disappointed. Because when you have all your eggs in one basket, in other words, you're just dreaming of the day you can make that 40 day and you finally make it and you're waiting for heaven to open and angels to come and everybody to fall down under the power when you pass by. At least an angel. You know, something. Head of the church comes. Something, something to mark some kind of difference here. And so you've got this number, you know, 40 days. So you, and really, really, God does everything he can in the fast. He does a whale of a lot of good. But if you do not make it, if, if you do not die enough in that, if he's not able to put to death enough whatever's between you and him and what you're expecting to happen, then you come out of the fast. And you go, where is he? Where's the lightnings? Where's Jesus? I remember my first meetings I ministered after, the second or I believe the second longer one was when I really run into me. And just to think, I was locked up with a person I hated. <laughs> me. Boy, I... I he got me under a magnifying glass. I didn't like it at all. It hurt. When I come out of it, I was trying to shake it off. At that point, I didn't really understand it. I was trying to shake it off. I was trying to get away from it and get back into a meeting <laughs> where his glory came. Because where I arrived at that fast, the certain time that I set to break it, where I arrived at, the only place he got to in me was to reveal and to begin to put to death what was between me and him. Well, that was accomplished in the next one, not that one. But boy, I came out and tell you the truth, I was afraid. I was scared. I was scared because I, I felt lost. I felt everything. I mean, I felt bad. 
Well, I walked out into my first services. There seemed to be a less power. Less power was operating. I mean, if I wanted people to go out under the power, how about a little shove? And especially in those days, we judged each other by how many fell down. I got up in that line to pray for them, and I'd pray a minute, and I'd have to go. If you have all your eggs in one basket thinking that that is it, that is it, and it is not it, then you get discouraged. Start seeking God like he told me to do in the beginning, and and he resulted in one fast, and that one was pretty good. All that did was just get the nice rich earth off the top and get down to the stones. Little did I know that the next one I started, I got to the stones. <laughs> well, that was the next one which I went into simply because inside I just knew I needed to. The next one, I got about halfway through it. So this is two and a half, about halfway through it. And, uh, and peace, he said, he even told me, you can come out now. And I did. I've at least started a 40-day fast 30 times. In my early days, I didn't think I was ever going to make it. I'd start it and break it, start it, and finally my wife said, you're never going to do it. When I finally did, she was in overseas somewhere. We had an agreement that I wouldn't break it unless we talked to each other. I couldn't get a hold of her. I'm I'm dying here. Well, I made it through it, and I was glad I didn't get a hold of her. In fact, I, I took her to the airport one week into it, and I tried to get out of it then. She wouldn't let me. So when I made up my mind, I wasn't going to stop. I was trying to get her. I didn't care what she said. I'll, I'll do it. I was going to keep my word. Couldn't get her. Well, I was out of contact. Or something. So I had to go on. Anyway, I finally made it. But that was that two and a half. Now, you've got to understand that God was trying to get something over to me and I'd have to be pretty dead because me and my big mouth kept saying, I won't stop until I have this. I won't stop until I have this. Not fasting, but I won't stop pushing and running towards you, God, until I have this. And what I wanted is no easy thing. Not much, just Tulsa saved. The rest of the world come here and get it if they want. I don't want much. Let's say he, he knew that what he had to give me because of what I was talking, I had to incorporate this. And so I did. So halfway through that third one, some kind of a peace come that, that birthed that series Peace, the aggressive weapon of God. I'd never quite experienced anything like that. It is wonderful. Well, as he taught me more and more, 
And then I found out that my fasting really doesn't move God. It really doesn't. It moves me into a position to receive from him. And when I found that out, I couldn't put all my eggs in one basket because maybe, maybe that that 40-day wasn't, it wasn't all that it was going to take. I'd have to return another day. Well, that's why serious fasting, those short ones that you'll do for seasons, are just as effective because eventually both of them is going to take you to the same place. It's not your personal sacrifice of not eating. It's what you're giving yourself to and how that it will enforce the position of grace that Jesus has given you by taking the sealing of the flesh off and letting it out. Well, can you imagine a bunch of people like you with one purpose in mind? That is to serve him and receive an outpouring, and you cannot receive an outpouring in Tulsa without receiving an outpouring also in your personal life. Hallelujah. It won't just be here. You'll carry a torch. It won't just be here. And so when I understood this, I was able to teach on all the various aspects of fasting. And I was able to understand it. Right now, right now, let's introduce ourselves to this. I guess the best place to do this would be Matthew 17. Anybody having a good time? All right. We're going to probably return to this chapter in the future, but right now we're just going to extract the foundation or laying things out so you'll know what to expect. But you can be as effective in cereal, <laughs> fasting, as you can in longer ones, because eventually all of them is going to arrive at the same signpost. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, let's begin with around the 14th verse. Now, extend your faith this way. Father, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry for the food that perishes not. I'm so hungry. I'm hungrier than my outer man. I must see you. Hallelujah, Jesus. So like never before, explain these principles to us. We yield ourselves to you. And we pray most earnestly for every person who's indifferent. We pray most earnestly for every person who serves themselves and does not understand the glory and the things he has for us. And each after their own, Father. You have to deal with all of us where we're at. I get to offer the information that you bring the increase. There is no condemnation. 
There is no condemnation. So, Father, as each of these that you deal with and what they can best do to serve the kingdom through this season, teach us. Oh, Jesus, teach us. And as your children, we're so very, very careful to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. Everybody says, Hallelujah. I will pick it up in 14. As you know, James, Peter, and John was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And they'd had a visitation and they got beside themselves and wanted to build tabernacles and everything else. And he charged them to tell no man. And when they came down off the mountain, they had found that a group of people had gathered around the nine that they had left behind. For they had been casting devils out, but suddenly these, these nine apostles, disciples, ran into a devil that no matter what they said or did, it held its ground. And it would not come out. It would not. So this is the situation that James, Peter, John, and Jesus walked into. So beginning with the 14th verse, follow me closely. But when they had come to the multitude, Matthew 17 and 14, and when they had come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, did you have mercy on my son? For he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He's sore vexed total possession. The devil often will throw him into a fire and try to destroy him. He'll throw him into water and try to destroy him. And I brought him to, to your disciples and they, they couldn't cure him. See, they couldn't cast it out. So immediately, Jesus turns on them and addresses them this way. Then Jesus answered and said, You faithless and perverse, or you backward generation, how long shall I be with you and how long shall I suffer you? In other words, how long am I going to have to do this for you? Bring him hither to me. Now you have to understand here that they were between covenants. And Jesus, although he was fulfilling the law from the Old Testament by becoming the last sacrifice. He was preaching, administrating the principles of the new. For he said very plainly, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. So here they were fulfilling the old, but he was preaching the principles of the new. Well, for his disciples that he sent out, he gave them power over unclean spirits. What he literally did is he put his mantle upon them. So that mantle worked quite well. It worked just like what you're supposed to have. When they came back to Jesus from casting devils out, healing the sick and raising the dead, they were quite excited. 
first receiving this mantle, they said, even devils are subject to us in thy name. He said, yes, I'm glad that you're glad that devils are subject to you. But he said, you need to rather glorify him because your name has been written in heaven and I'm, I'm here to pay the price for it. But they were really excited and to be honest with you, they were more shocked than the devil was that he had to come out. Well, they run into this one. So he said, you perverse and backwards generation, how long am I going to have to do this for you? What I gave you should have been enough. How long am I going to have to do this for you? And then, of course, he cast it out. The 18th verse, Jesus rebuked the devil. And he departed out of him. That child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why couldn't we cast him out? Well, as I've said before, they did exactly the same thing I would have done. Do you think that I would have yelled over the head of the crowd? Because he turned and said to them, you perverse and backwards generation, how long am I going to have to do this for you? You think as one of the twelve I'd be standing in the crowd and, and yell back over their head? Why could not we cast it out? Because he would yell back over their head and tell me, I don't need humiliation at this time in my ministry. Because <laughs> when they got him privately apart, this is the question they asked him. Why couldn't we cast it out? So he was quick to turn to them and give them the reason why. See this next verse, and Jesus said unto them, <laughs> because of your unbelief because of your unbelief now I'm a faith man you know I wouldn't have wanted to word it just like that <laughs> because of your unbelief that's not in my vocabulary do we have to word it like that why don't do we just say that I'm developing my faith He said, you ask why it wouldn't come out, and I'm telling you. It's because of your unbelief. Well, Brother Belbushin, I am going to fast to make that devil come out. Fasting doesn't move the devil, and it doesn't move God. But it has something to do with your unbelief. If the question is, what in God's green earth does not eating have to do with my unbelief? What's it got to do with it? In the early days of holiness, when I believed that fasting was moving God because it was my personal sacrifice, that to make it more effective, I would fast feast days like Christmas and Thanksgiving. 
One time I went to pick some seasoning up from the little stores that make it from staying open. And I drove down the street to get the seasoning, whatever it was, and I could smell turkey from every window. <laughs> Ever savory sense in me woke up. I decided that maybe God didn't want me to fast. So in those days I fleeced him, and that was before I knew that you could get fleeced. <laughs> Boy, you know, when you do, do not develop yourself to walk strictly by the inner witness, you're going to end up getting fleeced. Because a lot of times if you think that you can get God to do something to give you a sign for a direction you're supposed to go, you can end up being fleeced. Because I can tell you, he's gonna, the devil's going to make an equal kind of play for you. And to be honest with you, it's a blessed day for me that I walk strictly towards the direction of the inner witness because a lot of directions he sends me the moment I take a step, every door slams in my face. And if I took whether I got money or not, the door opening or not, as a sign, I would have did very little in my journey towards God. Very, very little. If the inner witness is the thing you can be sure of. So here I'm driving down the street, you know, and I don't know if he told me to fast or not. I'm just fasting because I believed it was my personal sacrifice. So I'm fasting and smelling turkey, and I, so I fleece God. And I said, if you want me to continue this fast, and I quote, Continue it. Get this part straight. If you want me to continue it, then this woman who runs this store, who has never given me nothing, have her give me something before I leave. I felt quite secure that when I was getting back to my house, I was going to have turkey. So I walk in the store, hmm, 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 hmm. Put the stuff down. I'm going, hmm, 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 She said, how are you doing? And I'm, you know, trying to get it settled and paid for. And I, hmm, 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 hmm. So far, so good. I'm going to get out that door. And she's not going to give me nothing. And I'm going to go home and eat a whole turkey. <laughs> hmm, 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 hmm. Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> okay, thank you. I've got to get this stuff back home. <laughs> oh, by the way. Yes. She says, I just happened to get these rolls <laughs> in fresh. <laughs> she says, Here, 
Sama. <laughs> Never have I ever been so tempted to hit a woman. Oh. Slowly I turned. I had to finish the fast. I had to finish it, and I was fasting the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, something like that, Friday, Saturday, whenever it fell on, because I was off, whenever it was. And I went home, and I had to sit there. So that proved to me that God really does have somewhat of a sense of humor. Next time I fleeced him, I made my mind up. It's going to be a whole lot harder than that to answer. <laughs> if you want me to continue to fast, have someone walk up and hand me a million dollars. That I do. <laughs> that should do it. days when I believed that way. You know, I did not understand. So what in God's green earth then? If it's the fasting not moving God, then what does fasting, going without eating, what's that have to do with my unbelief? But it must. It must. Because the reason the devil wouldn't come out was because of their personal unbelief. Well, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then that's the remedy for unbelief. Where does fasting come in? I know it doesn't move God, but what does it have to do with my unbelief? Before I thought it would get him to come, no matter how I was. After all, if I wasn't serious, I wouldn't be fasting. So they said, why couldn't we cast it out? He said, because of your unbelief. Then notice how he changed this 20th verse or finished it. Jesus said, because of your unbelief, and that's going to say, you know, change to another line of thought. Because of your unbelief, but the same thought. Because of your unbelief, for truly, when he says verily, I mean, he's really getting serious here. He says, verily or truly unto you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, see that mountain? Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And absolutely nothing shall be impossible for you. And what Jesus is saying is this. If you ever learned to deal with the particular kind of unbelief that he's talking about here. If you learn to deal with it. He said, you see that mountain? So in the next verse when he said, how be it this kind cometh not but by fasting and prayer. That most preachers, when they preached on this subject, they linked a certain class of devil to fasting. 
They said, see, this kind, howbeit this kind cometh not, but by prayer and fasting. So they said, well, I don't have a deliverance ministry, so I don't really need to fast. Why should I fast? I'm a teacher. <laughs> It'd be nice if you could perform some of what you're teaching. You know. It's the reason an airplane has two yokes. And the instructor says, take it. And you take it all right into a tailspin. You oh my God, I took off all right. Well, we're out of control. We're spinning here. Oh, Mr. Instructor, take the yoke. <laughs> he says, listen, I don't fly these things. I just teach on it. <laughs> well, one way to excuse yourself from fasting is, uh, is just link it together with certain kinds of ministries. So what did he say? The reason that devil wouldn't come out is because of your unbelief. Well, what kind of unbelief is he talking about? Well, if the disciples didn't know that they had it, because if they knew they had it, then why in the world would they have asked Jesus? Why wouldn't he come out? So we really are talking about the subtle, most deceptive kind of unbelief that puts a ceiling on your life. Because he just didn't assign fasting to live deliverance ministries. He said, look, it's because of your unbelief. Can you see that mountain? He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to that mountain, be removed hence to yonder place, and it should obey you. And then he said... Then he said, if you ever learn to deal with that particular brand of unbelief, absolutely nothing should be impossible unto you. So if the disciples would have known why that devil come out, or they had that particular kind of unbelief, then why did he have to tell them? It's because of your unbelief. There is a subtle kind of unbelief that sealings a person's life. And they never operate above it. Days turn into months and months, years and years, decades, decades, generation, generation, a century if you happen to live so long. This ceiling is on their life. And many times, they don't even know that they have because they've never broken or never learned to operate above it. So he's talking to a guy, a subtle kind of unbelief that will sealing a person's life. Well, you run around under that ceiling the whole rest of your life and what you fulfill. It's just what you fulfill. Let's take this a little bit further. What kind of unbelief do we have that we don't know that we have? Do you want to know how many times I've approached a child in a wheelchair, five years old, and know that I couldn't frame them 
for their unbelief. Yet they were imprisoned in their body. You know, they're imprisoned there. Do you understand how free a child's spirit is? I can't imagine a child being imprisoned in their own body. I can't imagine it. Well, most of the churches has accepted the ceiling. They've accepted it. We uh, assign those kind of miracles to just special ministries. Those big displays of glory and masses of people that come for miracles generally causes the masses to come and much salvation. An evangelist is supposed to operate in that. But the miracles are not just for the benefit of the evangelist. It's a benefit of the local church who generally is a stronghold behind the enemy lines that's supposed to take the city that he left them in. Most of us have accepted the ceiling. I'm not talking about your personal responsibility to see them healed. But I am talking about a local body understanding, giving themselves to God so completely that they grow up into him and fulfill their part in the body and their calling. That's what I'm talking about. I can't imagine how... uh, a child would feel that's so free in spirit, so free and wanting to be over here, wanting to be over there, wanting to be over here. And they can't because they've been put in a prison that Jesus' blood has freed them from. Do you want to know how many times I've approached children like that? laid my hands on them with every fiber in me of my being i milked myself for faith i turned myself inside out if i knew how to have any more faith i would have had it i prayed the hardest most earnest sincere turning myself calling on every cell and fiber of my body to yield faith And they didn't get out, and I'm looking at them, and I'm looking at myself going, I wonder why. Well, if at that moment Jesus happened to walk in, in his glorified body, just like he was walking with them, only in his glorified body, and I'd say, I need to ask you a question. He'd say, wait a minute, I need to do something. And he goes over and gets the child out. He comes back. He says, now why, what would you like to ask? I said, with every fiber in my being, I believe for the child. Why didn't he get up when I prayed? You think that Jesus would give me any other kind of answer? And he gave them. He'd look me right in the eye and he'd say, Son, it's because of your unbelief. I said, But Jesus, I milked every fiber of my being. I called on faith from every quarter. 
I prayed my hardest prayer. He said, nevertheless, like my disciples, you're asking me why he wouldn't come out, and I'm telling you. But one thing I love about Jesus, that he'll never, never outline a problem. Never outline a problem without going on to give the answer. So I knew, I knew that the answer to what I was looking for had to lie within the answers that he gave them. But like the apostles, I said, I don't know. I don't know why. Because it's the subtle, most deceptive kind of unbelief that puts a ceiling on your life and you accept it. Well, I don't know why he didn't do it when I prayed. And you accept it. Now, all your callings are not the same. But I can tell you one call of the believer that is the same. These signs shall follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. They'll cast devils out. And as many of your scholars say, they will speak in many different languages of the world so that we can, they'll speak with new tongues. Well, again, my friend, he, he gave to dealing with this kind of unbelief is when he summed it up in the next verse and said, how be it? Say, so how is this situation? You, your unbelief, that devil? How be it? Analytically, how is this situation? And he says, how be it as an analyzation of the situation because he's about to give the answer. But see, I knew, I knew he wouldn't just say because of your unbelief, I knew that he wouldn't leave the apostles there. You know, don't, don't wave a stake in front of my face and not give it to me. Don't tell me there's a problem or a victory pending and not tell me how to get it. And he said, next verse, 21, how be it, analytical, this kind goeth not out, but by, and he added the power twins, prayer and fasting. Well, obviously, it wasn't the prayer he talked about that they uttered over the demon-possessed child, because that one already failed. Could it be that he's talking about a lifestyle? Could it be? Howbeit this kind cometh not but by prayer. One time early, early into ministry, still in my 20s, working at the mill, trying to minister to a congregation a little that the pastor got in a wreck. So I'd go to the church and start praying for the message. And one day he spoke to me. It agreed with my faith then real well. He said, you want to see the people begin to get healed? He said, as it is, you'll, you, you're honorable because you'll stay with them for a long time. Keep praying and praying into the night. 
He says, and then the next one come along, you'll pray for them and pray for them, keep going and keep going until you either else give up or they get it. Not very many got it. <laughs> he said, don't you know that you can go into your closet and get to know me? And then you don't have to spend the time with them all night. You did that with me. Well, he says, how be it this kind cometh not but by prayer. So again, he's talking about a lifestyle, not the one they uttered over him. And fasting. Well, I can understand how that kind of devil that challenged them on that level of their unbelief, I can understand that they had to come to a higher level to get him to come out because he, he didn't have to listen to him. If he had to listen to him, he would have came out. He said, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. And he added the second power twin. I understand what prayer does with my faith. That's easy to understand. You pray and speak the word and fellowship with God and pray in tongues and builds you up on your most holy faith and you release the authority, you release it. I understand that. I understand what prayer has to do with my unbelief. I could not understand what fasting had to do with it then. I'm not moving God. Isaiah 58, they says, well, this is the fast I've chose. The fast they chose is to smite with the fist of wickedness that their voice might be heard on high. But the fast that he chooses, not that your voice be heard on high, that you can hear him on low. Is anybody having a good time dying? Well, I said, I don't understand at this point what fasting has to do with my unbelief, Father. I don't understand it. What does going without eating have to do with my unbelief? I understand what prayer does. Sometime I fasted until my rib cage just played chopsticks with my belly button. What does it have to do with my unbelief? Well, I can show you. Be a good place to enter into next Sunday. But I can give you a little hint. Go to Romans 8. Tenth verse, old favorite of mine. Basically, you and I understand the positional truth of our spirit. Quickened together with him. Seated with him in heavenly places. I'm above and not beneath. But we know very little about the positional truth our flesh has been declared, which is dead. Not dead as of in the grave and you in heaven, but a positional truth that's declared it dead concerning its ability to reign over your spirit. It doesn't have that ability. We think it does, but it doesn't. So the moment that you were born again, an interesting thing happened. Your spirit immediately becomes seated with him in a heavenly place. 
but he also provided a positional truth for your body. In this 10th verse, he said, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. That spirit is life. He's entered into the Zoe, new nature kind of life that caused you in spirit to be seated in a heavenly place with him. Well, that's going to happen to your body eventually. There'll be a sound of the trump and the twinkling of an eye the time it takes you to blink. Then you're going to get a glorified body that's going to have much the same thing happen in it that happened in your spirit. But meanwhile, he declared a positional truth for your body as far as its ability to reign over your spirit's concerned, and he called it dead. Now look at this verse. And if Christ be in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit, not, not big S. Shame on you, King James. Shame, 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 shame. Christ be in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit, human spirit, has come alive because of the righteousness it's been made through that nature of Christ that was quickened together with you. He said, my spirit's seated with him, and I know that positional truth, but my body and its capabilities to reign over my spirit has also a positional truth provided for it, which is dead. Now, this is why it really didn't do Mahatma Gandhi any good to fast, because he had no positional truth to enforce in his body because he had no new nature to enforce it. So what did he get? He got hungry and deceived. (laughs) Very hungry, very deceived. On my way back from Brazil the last time, I sat sat next to two women, you know, and I was wondering because I tried to get my upgrade that I already have the miles for. I come back from the long ride and I just was going to cash some of my miles in the bank to get an upgrade so I could kick back. But did it work? No, didn't work because God wanted to set me down next to two Dalai Lamas. I go, oh brother, I could tell by the way they was dressed. We were in for a ride. So I kicked back and rested my senses for a while because I knew what was coming. So finally one of them turns after we talked a little bit and says, what do you do? Because I asked them first what they did. And they said, we're from Oregon. We're from Oregon. I said, where are you coming back from? Africa. I said, what were you doing in Africa? Was at a religion of the worlds where the Dalai Lama spoke. The Dalai Lama, God of Buddhism. The Dalai Lama. Oh. First thing the Holy Spirit said in me, if they, if they didn't, If they had a new nature, they wouldn't be running around looking for their consciousness to be cleansed from sin. 
the Dalai Lama. I said, oh, brother. They said, what do you do? I said, I'm coming back from a preacher's conference where I taught a bunch of preachers the next step in walking in the power of God. They said, really? I said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I taught them how to surrender themselves to Jesus. Oh, yes, I did. And they said, well, what about it? And I told them about the miracles, and I told them about India, how God moved and started saving the Hindus. <laughs> this Buddha guy, he'll kill you. They teach you. You can never know him. The goodness of it is that you get life after life. And he says that maybe if you carried all the grains of sand off of the ocean in all your lives, that eventually you would get to, to talk with him and him with you. See? Well, these people are spiritually dead and they're looking for a new nature. Satan is so hideous so hideous and unscrupulous, killing, derogatory, sick, sick puppy. He's a sick puppy. First of all, he gets these Dalai Lamas and he tells them they need to live. And he, and he describes the new nature in love and good works and towards their fellow man. So first of all, he catches them spiritually dead. Then he tells them they need to live that way. And then there's no way to do it. So he says, don't worry about it. Maybe two or three hundred lifetimes you'll get there. So when they closed their eyes the last time, what a shock. Somebody needs to tell them the truth with power. He's, his Dalai Lama and his other Buddhist prophets, they can fast all they want. It won't, will not do any good because their spirit has not been born again. And there's no positional truth for the body which is dead provided. And this is what fasting does, my friend. Fasting executes with quite a bit of force the positional truth your body's been declared, which is dead. Which is dead. It will keep driving it down. Driving it down. And if it's sealing, if it is sealing, you'll walk of the Spirit. Like, I want to walk in time. I want to do better. And suddenly you start fasting and praying. Hallelujah. I'm the new creation. I'm fasting besides that. So he enforces the position your body's been declared dead. It's called flesh, spirit. Fast, fast, fast. Fast, fast, fast. Bounce, bounce, bounce. Ooh-wee, something is happening here. Fast, fast, bounce. Fast, fast. So Kurama's got a fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Come Woo. Kiramo Solaba. Woo. Kalamo Matasa. Woo. And then finally. Ah. Victory. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Suddenly. 
suddenly your spirit sealings your flesh and everything God's promised you starts coming to pass and you go oh I really moved God didn't I no my little friend he's not the one stuck you moved yourself out from under whatever it was that he couldn't move for you by executing the possessional truth the flesh has been declared which is death this is why when you eat all the eggs in the 40-day basket, don't stop. Go into series. Because when this happens, this happens. Well, I don't know why it wouldn't come out. Because what Jesus has made you by his grace is not able to free itself from the flesh yet. Go ahead, you add fasting. The moment you break free, his position is going to come forward and somebody is going to get a prayer answer. I used to negotiate with my flesh. I'd say, I'd say, look, I'm not going to break this. And God, I'm telling you this right now. I'm telling you this. I'll never fall out of prayer again. Every fast that I broke prematurely didn't make my personal goal, which I don't hardly fast that way anymore. I fast day by day. Nevertheless, every fast that I didn't make my personal goal in, I'd negotiate and I'd say, well, I tell you what, not only will I pray, I'll rise at dawn. Not only will I pray every day, I'm going to add another hour. So I'm going to go ahead and break this because this is what I'm going to do. I used to come home and tell my wife. He told me to break it and just pray. Yeah. Well, what would happen? It wouldn't be very long. He'd take both of them away from me. See, the thing is, of course there's a 40-day. That's the fast God chose for Jesus and you, and we'll get into that. But what God's after is the change. He's after the change. This is why serious fasting is just as powerful. Because, you know, you may have to keep going and going, but eventually, eventually, along with your job and whatever you're doing, eventually it'll fall down below. There's a lot of variables. The prayer, I mean, you'll start praying, all kinds of things will happen. But your flesh will sure want to negotiate a deal. In your spirit, you know that you're not supposed to stop, and your flesh will say, I'll let you pray. I will let you pray. (laughs) Next thing you know, it's a frightening sight. You're chasing a cow across the pasture with a handful of rice. People drive by to the clanking noise. Clanking noise of teeth clattering and snapping and Looks like an elephant burial ground when you go through that herd. (laughs) This is very important. Don't let your flesh get away with it. You can hurt yourself. You're not meant to stuff a whole turkey down your throat (laughs) five days into a fast. Your body has trouble with it. Much trouble with it. With fasting, you need to do certain things to go in and go out. 
that will do nothing, as Isaiah 58 says, your health will begin to spring forth speedily. I mean speedily. There's things you have to adhere to, though. So there's ways to break it. So you just be kind to yourself, you know, and go ahead and begin some short ones. But talk to people who know. Talk to some of the old fasters around here. Talk to some so you won't hurt yourself in and out. And in a three-day, you don't have a lot to be concerned with. First day, just be easy on yourself. You should be eating salad anyway. Amen. Okay. I did you a favor by going on for ten more minutes or so. <laughs> right now, visions of grandeur is, is dancing in my head with the potential of crucifying unbelief. Woo, but wait till you're three or four days in. What have I done? So don't be real bold on how long you're going to go at first. Good God, I'm dying here. I need some help, and I got nine days to go. I'm dying here. And then you go, why, why did I set ten days? Why did I, my God, I'm dying here. The agonizing, slow gnawing in your belly. The long hours of nothing but you flesh and gnawing. All your friends just slobbering right in front of you. Oh, I'm sorry, you're fasting. You'll overcome all of it. Hallelujah. You'll overcome all of it.